Shamai hello, my name is Sam Cook, the TV writer at Wales Online, and welcome to this podcast. Over the course of the next half an hour, we'll be hearing from some of this country's biggest stars, from where they got their big break to struggles that they may have faced along the way. Today we'll be putting Welsh actor and co-founder of Swansea's grand ambition, Richard Mylan, in the spotlight. Richard Mylan, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad. It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, the last time, we were, like we were just chatting about it, but the last time we talked was at the start of the pandemic. So it's certainly been a while now, considering we were now in 2023. I know, I know. I mean, that ho- the, the, the whole thing, like the fact that, it, that that was the last time I spoke to you, on the one hand feels like yesterday, but on the other hand feels like like decades ago because because the pandemic and all that um, has, has just, it seems to have kind of elonged stretched time in, in a weird way as well as kind of condense it. Yeah. How did you find the pandemic as a whole? You hear a lot about people who said that they reacted creatively from the pandemic uh, and it had an impact on them in that way. Would you say that happened for you? Yeah, actually, because, um, you know, the one thing that it did was it, it forced us all to sit still. And and if you're like me and have a really kind of active imagination and an active mind, um, being forced to sit still with an active mind is kind of like a sort of um, like a mild torture. <laughs> so I was going out of my mind. So I, I got really creative. Um, and, and also as well, I started thinking about coming to terms with a big chunk of my life which I hadn't really explored or that I kind of swept under the carpet and that was that was coming to terms with the fact that I'm I'm a recovering addict and it was that part of your life that clearly inspired you to do this new play uh, at the Swansea Grand um you know just reading about it it invites people into a part of your life that you know some people would just want to close the doors on so Kind of, why did you decide to do that? It's because of lockdown, because I was forced to sit still. Um, and because like the kind of the the voices of my past, if you like, the not very nice voices, the memories um, were, were coming, were, were too sort of prominent in my mind. And I, and I was like, I, I, I have got to try and make sense of that part of my life. Otherwise, I'm going to go mad during this lockdown period. Um, I've got to try and maybe document it in some way so I can look at it from an outside perspective. You know what I mean? So I can kind of have a more of an overview of it rather than it being this sort of jumbled up mess in my head. So I, I tried to write it all down chronologically in the first person and I really struggled to do it. And maybe it's because the shame and the guilt and the stigma around addiction was still sort of too prominent, but I really struggled to connect it to me. So I was like, why, why am I struggling? And I was like, well, why don't you do, why don't you go to a familiar place and write it vicariously? So write it through two characters and then you can be that one step removed and maybe that will help. So I did that. And, and Sam, it, it flew out of me in like in three weeks and then all of a sudden I had this play and I was like, OK, that's good. Now I've so so I can look back and, and on my life in that way. And I wasn't really going to do anything with it. But, um, you know, it ended up coming out all right, the, the play. So I sent it to to a writer, a prolific Welsh playwright called Gary Owen, who's, you know, Olivia nominated and um, is, is, is just incredible. And he's, he's a bit of a mentor of mine. And I've done a few of his plays in the past. 
I sent it to him and he th- and he was like, Rich, this is really good. So that prompted me then to do something more with the play. And that's where we are, where we are today. So, yes, the play is, is autobiographical, but it's also about the things that I witnessed written and, and it's all through the kind of vessel of these these two characters. Just hearing you talk about it there, it almost seems like the play was a form of therapy. Would you agree with that? 100%. It was, it was a, a complete form of therapy. It was kind of like the final pe- part of the puzzle in terms of like reconciliation with, with, with one's past. And it was extremely cathartic for me um and 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 made me feel so much better that I got it all down on the page and actually it was the first step of me thinking I need to take ownership over this you know and the best way for me to do that is to kind of hang out all my dirty washing for all to see and take and take ownership over over it so that I'm not carrying it around with me anymore it's not kind of like this dirty secret anymore it's it's in the public domain and 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 I'm sort of free of it and that and that's kind of kind of why I went public and and even though that was the most scariest thing I've ever done in my life and I almost pulled the plug the day that I did it and we, and and the interview that I did with the BBC you can see that I'm sweating cuz I'm so nervous it ended up being the best thing that I could ever have done because it was immediately freeing. And then the the reaction to it was so positive and supportive. It had an immediate impact on my mental health and has had a kind of positive impact on my life since. So I'm so glad that I did that. You mentioned coming up with the idea of the play and, and where this has come from. When you initially had the idea to do the play, those people who knew what you had gone through, how did they initially react? Well, you know, when I was first talking about doing the play, obviously those closest to me knew about it. Um, and look, you know, opioid, heroin or, or opioid addiction in its broadest term is, is, is a difficult subject to talk about. And it's a difficult subject to... It, you know, it's it's not it's not the sexiest subject, if you know what I mean. It's not the most. It's not people don't go. Oh, I'd love to see that. You know, but but I, you know, what we discussed was that it was important for us to do it because, you know, the, the company that that I co-founded with Michelle McTurn and Steve Balsamo and, and Christian Patterson here at the Grand Theatre, Grand Ambition. That is our main mission: is to tell Swansea stories and to reflect Swansea people and and our community on its stage the good the bad the ugly so you know heroin is a real issue here in in, in swansea as it is in cardiff and, and 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 the whole of the uk um but it's a very visible problem here um uh, uh, but one that the public generally don't know that much about it's really important that we tell this story and it's really important that people come and engage and experience this story you find that a lot, don't you, that people almost use creativity as a way of healing previous trauma. So kind of looking at that particular time for you, at what point would you say that you realised that you actually had a problem with heroin and needed help? Biggest mistake of my life was trying heroin in my, in my mid to late 20s. And I knew I had a problem immediately, Sam, because it numbed 
a part a part of me which I was struggling with and that is my mental health I've always suffered from debilitating mental health issues anxiety depression uh, low self-worth um, uh, negative cyclical thoughts and and what and what and what heroin did for me is it turned turned that off and numbed it yes temporarily but it gave me relief but of course I felt so much worse after so then I was immediately caught up in the cycle of it it was the worst, biggest mistake of my life, um, but I, I knew I'd, I had a problem pretty much straight away. Uh, but I would say within maybe six to eight months, I was I was um, on that journey of being a, a, a full blown addict. Anxiety and depression. You hear this story so much of people who are using drugs to self medicate themselves and get through that difficult time. How do you treat your anxiety and depression now? Being on the right medication through my through my GP, and and you know sometimes people find the right medication immediately, and some sometimes it's trial and error. But you know what I would say to anyone who's thinking about going to their GP about mental health issues, um, don't be disheartened if you don't if if it doesn't get fixed straight away because the the right combination is out there for you. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm on, I'll, I'll probably be on medication for the rest of my life, but it, but it, but it gave me my life back. And, and, you know, yes, I still struggle sometimes with mental health, but it's manageable. Um, and, and it, and it doesn't, it doesn't take me out anymore. Um, you know, and, and I don't feel the need to self-medicate in, in other ways, you know, but go, going back to, back to your point, right. I, I, I never met one person who was an addict that had good mental health, you know, and that's what, that's what we want to try and say as well is that, um, you know, and what a lot of people say is we need to treat addiction as uh, as as the full blown mental health issue. And mental health is just the same as physical health. Where, when it's bad, it needs to be treated with empathy and respect and dignity. Um, and we want um, addictions, all addictions to be treated with empathy, digni- dignity and respect. I think you touched on something so important there about medication and going to the doctors and kind of finding the perfect drug for you. I still think that there's that attitude, isn't there, to medication and the fact that if you're on medication, you somehow have something wrong with you. Did you ever feel like that? Or were you kind of like, this is important. I need to do this. It has to happen. Years ago, I probably did feel like it was some kind of negative to to admit or to you know like if you go in and having you know happy pills as they used to be called it was seen as some kind of you know it was almost frowned upon but I think the world has changed a lot um since then uh you know and it's like people I've heard people saying in these days if you break your ankle you wouldn't just ignore it and you know and and if your mental health is not is, is somehow not functioning properly it's the same you need to treat it with the same kind of outlook as you would a physical ailment um and you know this whole thing about um talking more and 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 especially you know with with males talking about mental health more um the world is changing and and changing for the better but there's still an incredible amount of stigma around um around mental health and around addiction specifically um you know so so those that are self-medicating uh, are in uh, are 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 also dealing with the cycle of shame and the fear of stigma um and we have to alleviate all these things so that more people feel that they can plug into the right support and the right help it's so important
I think we have to address that this is a worldwide issue. There are so many people around the world who go through a very similar thing. Addiction is common in in Cardiff, in Swansea. So what would you perhaps say to someone who was going through a similar situation as you were now? What's really important is unconditional support. And that's what these, you know, the whole sort of drug rehabilitation service, that's what that is. That's that's unconditional support. And there are programs out there that can give you your life back. And, and, and the transition between addiction and, and life is, is, is a lot less scary and a lot less painful than what, what one might realize. If, if you're in that cycle of addiction that I that I can totally relate to, where you where you feel like basically you're drowning or you're just trying just to come up for air, please, please, please get help. Please plug into it. If, if you have a family member or a friend who can support you, great, because you do need that support. But if you don't, there is that unconditional support out there. When I finally plugged into drug services when I, when I lived in Cardiff, it was the best thing I ever did. And it was a difficult thing for me to do. But once I did it, I realized that I wasn't judged and I was just treated and with, with care and with empathy. And, and, and like I said, there are programs out there that give you your life back, you know. Please, please get help. And what I think is so great about you, Richard, is you've turned this negative into a positive through the means of acting and creativity. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about you being an actor now. Uh, and you, you yourself, you've been in some amazing shows over the years. Uh, Waterloo Road is the first one that comes to mind for me because I remember watching you on it. So why why did you actually want to become an actor? I trained as a dancer. And, uh, and when I left college, I got into the West End I was in Starlight Express and then I kind of learned to sing and did a bit more acting in that. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with acting. Um, so so whilst I was in the West End and sort of mixing in the circles of casting directors, etc., I just kind of became this magpie of opportunity and took whatever I can. And so got a little bit part on the bill, which was this TV show about police back in the day. Um, and then that led to more of a bigger part on the bill. And then you know, I started to dip my toe into acting and I knew really, really sort of quickly that I wanted to do it as a career. So um, I just made the kind of switch really from musical theatre to, to straight acting. And I've, I, I, I've never really looked back. It's the age old question, isn't it? And you find that a lot of actors answer this question in exactly the same way. I'm about to ask you, do you prefer TV work or stage work? And usually when actors are asked that question, they're like, <laughs> I'll accept anything, you know, I'm a creative. But um, kind of, what, what do you think you prefer? Do you reckon you prefer being on screen or, or, or that buzz of being on the stage? You know what? The, the buzz of seeing a finished piece of work in film and television is incredible, right? You know, if you go to a cast and crew screening in, in a cinema or if you see a, you're the TV show that you've spent maybe a year on or two years on the TV, that's an incredibly rewarding ex- experience. But it's the immediacy of of, of, of theatre that that's that's kind of the buzz, and that spontaneous connection with you and the audience. Um, uh, so I would say I do prefer theatre, um, but I also, you know, TV works really much more lucrative. Let's be real about it. And like I say, it's it's more about the finished product because what what actors moan about and it's quite true is that you know 
it's really laborious making TV and film. If you're doing a scene, you have to shoot it the same way, 30, 40, sometimes 50 times. And it becomes, it's not boring, but, you, but you, you're kind of like a robot because, you know, there's continuity in TV. You can't do it all different ways. Your performance would be all over the place in the edit. Whereas with theatre, you can go with it more and you, and you can find different ways of doing the character more. So I would say I prefer theatre. On the whole. One of like as as I touched on, but one of your prominent roles was in Waterloo Road. Waterloo Road has just returned to screens. Have you managed to catch any of the new episodes? Yeah, I watched the first episode, and I've watched a little bit of it since as well. But I'm um I'm you know I'm going to kind of binge it. I watched the first episode with real interest because I was like, how are they going to bridge? the old school with the new school or are they just going to pretend it never existed or is is Waterloo Road just going to appear somewhere else I was really interested to see how they're going to do it and to be honest I'll be honest with you I was really impressed with how they handled it I thought it was a brilliant way to do it and there, there was then that nod then um, where she was talking about a school that was demolished at, um, uh, you know over 10 years ago and then of course when, when I when when I was watching that, I got really emotional because I was like, that's that's the school that I was a part of. You know, that's the school where I, I met my my now wife, Tammy. That 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 show was a huge part of my life, a real positive experience. But I've got to be honest, I think they've done an incredible job of the new series. And um, I think it's going to go on and be just as successful, if not more successful than the original. So hats off to the cast and crew and creatives. What must be really interesting for you is seeing those child actors that you worked with go on to, you know, huge success and and stardom and all that type of thing. Is it is it nice for you as a creative? Because whenever you chat to creatives, there's always this sense that it's all about sending the elevator back down and you've reached that point in your career where you're happy. So now you want someone else to get that exact experience. So is that nice? Yeah. It's really nice. It's really nice seeing people that, you know, younger actors that you've worked with smashing it. You know, there's, there's, there's loads that I could mention, but whenever I see them, um, I'm just always really proud that I've kind of worked with them and, and known them. I think I think you're absolutely right about, you know, I'm at that stage now where I just like to see people doing well. And I always love to see actors that that um, and, and what and actors that I've worked with, but where I've been like, they're going to go far and they always do. They always do, you know, because they're not just really talented. They're really grounded, lovely individuals as well. And um, you mentioned meeting your lovely wife on Waterloo Road. Talk us about that experience. She's my makeup artist and we pretty much fell head, head over heels for each other. Um, and we've been together ever since and we've been married for years now. And we've got a young son, um, Aeson, who, who's, who's now coming, well, he'll be three next, next July. And he was kind of a miracle, really, because, um, as you know, Tammy, Tammy went through a major, major ordeal. Um, with having cancer, uh, you know, and it was a, a, a rare sort of form of cancer that took place in, in, in the womb. And it was a huge, huge part of, you know, of our life, obviously, and a really difficult part of our lives. And, and, and bless Tammy, she really went through it. You know, it was never any guarantee that we were going to have children after that. So when, so Aeson is, is a true gift and he's thriving. 
he's he he makes us laugh every day. He's a real character. Jacko, his older brother, absolutely loves him, and Asen absolutely adores Jacko. Um, and they're really good together. So you know, we we we've got a lot to be grateful for for a family, as a family, and um, you know, I'm grateful that I met. Tammy and I've got this wonderful life with her because she was also well, she was she love and support along with the therapies that I was plugging into. And Tammy, uh, you touched on Tammy's ordeal there. Uh, how is she doing now? Is she all okay? She's absolutely fine now. You know, she still has to um, be screened. Um, I think she'll be screened for life. She's absolutely fine and uh, and and thriving. Um, so you know we've we've kind of put it put it behind us it was a hugely traumatic event um with many twists and turns um but i'll never forget us driving from charing cross hospital where she was treated at the specialist unit there in london driving away from there with the music blaring singing at the top of our singing our lungs out we had a playlist that if we if she got the all clear we had we would activate the playlist just singing our, our hearts off so happy that she was finally through it it was so difficult and uh bless her you know she's a strong strong woman strong woman well do you think that something like that changes your relationship definitely because it's a real test of 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 a relationship's metal something like that you know, you get through something like that, you're, you're set. You know what I mean? It, it kind of gave us our first real big trial of our relationship. We'd been together probably eight, nine years, eight years at that point. And, um, yeah, it, we're definitely tighter f- f- um, for it, you know. Our foundations are rock solid. And it's all about not letting it take away your joy for the rest of your life. Because something like that... When it takes your feet away, the joy out of you a bit, and anything could be around the corner. But but what Tammy's done is she's she's just like she's gone for joy, and she's gone for the fact that she's still here and she's fighting, um, and and she's happy, and you know I I just I've just got so much respect for her. And aside from that, there's this whole other huge part of your life, and that is uh, Jacko's autism. Now, this is something that we've seen through documentaries that you've done with the BBC, highly well-regarded documentaries as well. Uh, so why did you decide to tell that story? I imagine it's to raise awareness for these issues, but kind of go into that a little bit more. It's really because everything I'd seen up to that point that had something to do with autism seemed to be quite negative and seemed to be about that it's a lifelong, really difficult condition. And, and the only kind of really kind of cultural um, uh, uh, example was things like Rain Man. And I was like, hold on, this is nothing like my experience with Jacko. My experience with Jacko is really joyful and really happy. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's tricky, but at times, and it's been difficult. And, you know, things tend to take a lot longer to come to fruition in terms of like development. But, but all, all, on the whole, it you know, I'd learned an incredible amount as a man 
and uh, that he taught me but but my experience with him was one of joy and that and that's the main motivation for doing it is that if we could show that side of things and i think we did that really well and i'm really proud of it that we did that you know we ended up making two films and we went all over the world basically and and it was an incredible experience for jacko because he watches those films back even now he was even watching them back last week and he gets to kind of be retrospective about his own life and look back and you know and learn more about himself actually by watching it so yeah i'm so glad that we did it and he, he was even asking the other day are we going to make another one i was like i don't know but that's up to you really and he's like i'm up for it so maybe we will make another one you know because he's going to be 18 in august so uh you know maybe maybe we'll come back to his life but but not right now you know we're just kind of enjoying not having that sort of not intrusion but it, you know it's it's quite major that they, you know you have a film crew as part of your life for a huge chunk so yeah but we will we will make another one again i think do you think that people responded to jacko differently after watching the films absolutely actually because people saw jacko in every context and people feel like they know jacko because of course they do right they know him a bit more because they've seen the films and so when Jacko walks into a room, he lights up the room anyway, but now he really lights up the room and people are really quick to engage with him. And they're not, they, they're not kind of, they're, they're not like, I don't know how to handle this. Do you know what I mean? Which is what happens with autistic people a lot is that people, neurotypical people, they just don't know how to handle it. And they project their own kind of neurological identity onto the autistic person. But with Jacko, it is like, this is who I am. And and the connection he makes with people is incredible. And I, I, I think the film the films do have a part to play in that. So, you know, and maybe it does open doors for Jacko, I don't know, but that's only going to be a good thing. Because ultimately what the films were also about was me trying to find out what's available for Jacko in the future. So it was it was more of like a kind of you know, a parental kind of urge to find out more information as well. We now reach that point in the podcast, Richard, where we've got five minutes left. I set to you two questions when we started. So it's time to tackle those questions. Firstly, if you had any advice to give your younger self, what would it be? Go for help with your mental health early. Because I remember being having poor mental health as a really young child. So... If I plugged into good mental health support earlier, then I might not have gone down the road. Well, I definitely wouldn't have gone down the road of, of self-medication. Get help. That's what I, I would say to my younger self. Get help. What would you like to see happen next? I just want people, and, and like this is not me doing a shameless plug. This is a genuine, genuine request. I want people to come and experience this play, Sorter, at the Grand Theatre from the 3rd to the 10th of March. Please come and experience this play and know more about the people that we pass on the street. Know more about the people in your community. Learn, learn more about it. See the humanity. Um, laugh, cry and be surprised with us. Please come and support this play. I really, really want you to. I'm going to throw in a left field third question. What would you like to do next in terms of your career? You've done TV work. You've done some film work. You've done stage work. You've done a bit of presenting. So what would you like to do? 
you know what? I, I, I'm I'm really happy. The company that we that I founded with 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 Steve and Michelle and Christian, Grand Ambition. That's my life now because I get to be sort of super creative through that through the company, and I just want to tell stories that affect my community and stories that um, have a legacy and stories that mean something. And I want to help um, steer this beautiful theatre, the Grand Theatre in Swansea, into being a destination for um, for you know a cultural destination because we've got an incredible cultural landscape here in Swansea and I want it to be the vessel for that. And, you know, I want to, the Grand Theatre to be known as a, as a world-class producing house. That's all I want for my career. Um, I know that's quite a lot, uh, but I, I feel like I've kind of been there and done it as an actor, as, as, as a kind of jobbing actor. I just want to kind of affect opportunities for fellow creatives and do something for my city because um, uh, I, I feel like this, this city deserves it. Seeing how far you come as well, you say that's a lot, but that doesn't really sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things. So, Richard, I wish you all the best with Grand Ambition and the play and any other upcoming projects that you've got. Thank you very much for chatting to me. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, mate. I really, I love chatting with you. Let's do it again soon. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of In the Spotlight. For more TV and showbiz news, subscribe to our newsletter on walesonline.co.uk. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for future episodes.